woke up this morning with hope and desperation. Maybe today I'll find some inspiration. Welcome, everyone, to the Even in Death podcast. This is Dave Diller, and I am super glad to be with you. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about all the things that encompass this life, from joy to pain, to beauty to loss, to creativity, and to those moments where we feel completely stuck. That's life, all of it, the fullness, the paradox, and we are tasked to breathe it deep, to live it fully, and to express our truest self for this one shot we have living in this world. So keep listening, keep participating, and most importantly, keep showing up. Glad you're here. Hey, 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 welcome everybody. Even in Death podcast, episode four. I am super glad that you're here and listening in. It's great to be with you. We just got our cable fixed. I know. How in the world did we survive for all of those weeks without cable? Well, Netflix was the answer. We've been so busy that we really haven't paid too much attention to the fact that our cable wasn't working for like two months. Has anybody ever been in that scenario where like you've got something around the house that needs to be taken care of and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm I'm just going to get right on that. And then pretty soon it's months later. Uh, So anyway, our cable wasn't working, got fixed today, but in the meantime, um, when we did want to watch something on television, we would turn on Netflix, and um, we would find ourselves watching Blue Planet. Have you seen this before? It's a show just about animals and creation just in its natural habitat, from um, the Arctic, Antarctic, to various deserts, to mountains, um, and the narrator has just got this sweet English buttery voice and it just draws you in and, and all the video and imagery is in high def. Um, so y- you just get these vivid colors and, and you can't help but just to be captivated by all the movement, um, by the orchestration. It's, it's like a symphony of synchronicity and it's beautiful. And uh, as we were watching this, I couldn't help but um, be mindful of our place in all of this. Um, That we as humans are are active participants in this ongoing, unfolding, interactive creation story. It's like happening right now and regardless of what we're experiencing, joy or pain, Like we are a part of this with everything else in this specific moment in time. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's awe-inspiring. It helps sort of get me out of my own head, which I need to on a regular basis. And so one of the vignettes that was um, shared in the episode that we were watching was about the journey of these walruses. Um, This group of walruses, uh, I mean, a group isn't even a great term, and they said it could literally be hundreds and hundreds of walruses um, 
that look for a place to rest. And they would usually rest um, on, on these large uh, sheets of ice, but those had been melting. Uh, and so they needed to find a stable place where they could rest. And the closest spot uh, was just on the coast of, of Russia. Super rocky terrain, um, not what they're normally used to, but um, a place where they've adapted uh, to get together and rest. And when you're watching this imagery, it, it just hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of walruses, and they are crammed in. And some of the walruses uh, decided to find their way to more space. And the only space they could really get to are the elevated cliff areas. And um, so they would try to keep moving past each other. And as they're moving past, you know, walruses are like, um, you know, grunting and getting on each other's nerves. And um, they're sort of climbing over one another um, until they can get to a space where they can um, take a, a, a sloped elevation um, to a higher cliffed terrain and they have more room and they can rest and so you get this um aerial footage of all these walruses down the rocky shore and they are packed and they're crammed in and they're trying to move over one another and then you get the other aerial of these walruses um like up on these cliffs like and and they've got more room but it, it's just the stark contrast and then the narrator says um that this is not the walruses natural habitat uh Number one, they are not good climbers. And number two, they have poor vision. So imagine for these walruses who've tried to get to uh, an area where they have more space. They found themselves up on these cliffs. And all of a sudden it's like, I, I don't know how to climb down. <laughs> and they can't see well. So when they finally decide that they do want to move, their depth perception oftentimes leads to their own death. Because as they start to move forward, they don't realize that they're at the edge of the cliff. And so it's just showing these really, uh, um, I mean, tragic um, video footage of these walruses falling off the cliff. And there was something... Um, just remarkable about that whole uh, vignette. Um, there was something really ordinary about it. There was something very tragic and sad about it. Um, that this is, in part, how life happens. So last night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had what could only be described as a panic attack. Uh, I don't know if you've been there before. Um, my heart was racing. I felt like it was just going to beat right out of my, my chest. Um, I had trouble like just being still. Uh, it, it's like for those of you that get jittery leg uh, at night in bed, uh, this was to the 10th degree. Um, I just, I, I, I felt anxious. Like I've got to get out of this. Like I've got to go. Like I, I contemplated, it was like one in the morning, I contemplated getting up and going to the gym and just running. Um, I, I, I just, ah, oh. have you had that experience before? And in that moment, I'm trying to think, what is wrong with me? What's going on? And then, uh, you know, my very analytical brain kicks in and goes, uh, well, you're, you're having a panic attack. 
And then I'm having an internal dialogue with myself going, you're having a panic attack. What am I nervous about? What am I anxious about? Um, let's try to think about that. And I can't think of anything because I'm just so in my body at that moment um, that I'm feeling anxious. My heart is racing. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to fix. I'm not sure if it's okay. I'm in bed though, and it should be okay. What am I supposed to do? And um, the oddity of that experience was that as I was having those thoughts um, 100 miles an hour, um, and I felt like I should be able to pinpoint or locate what is the source of my anxiety right now, because like that would be the proper thing to do. I, I, I couldn't do it. And my, <laughs> my thoughts kept going back to those damn walruses. Those walruses that are just trying to figure out life and they're climbing over one another. And sometimes when they do in the search for um, greater peace and, and more space, they get um, frustrated in these like fights with each other. And then for the ones that do make it through, uh, some of them get to climb up to higher ground and they get to rest. And yet for some of them, uh, it's like they find their way only to lose sight of where they are because of their poor vision and they fall off a cliff. Like sometimes walruses sometimes walruses fall off cliffs and i know that that sounds really odd um and yet in this really bizarre way it, it sort of helped put my my perspective in check to go hey dave sometimes people have panic attacks um, sometimes all kinds of things happen in this life. And maybe you don't need to spend a ton of time figuring out exactly what it is or why that's happening or what's the root cause or how you're going to fix it other than just to observe it and sit back and go, yes. Sometimes in this modern 21st century life, living in the United States with all that we have going on, sometimes we have panic attacks. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to some of those causes. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to listen to what our body is trying to communicate. Um, but I think it does mean that we can be gracious to ourselves and not feel like we have, A, done something wrong, B, need to figure it out right then and there, but rather that we can just be patient with ourself and give ourselves room and space to experience what it is that we are experiencing. And this morning as, as I, um, I woke up and, and it's like I slept a little bit later, but I still woke up tired and I still had that imagery of those walruses trying to navigate life. And that was enough. It was enough. Uh, because it reminded me that maybe I'm not all of that special, right? Like, I'm just as much a part of the creation as any animal on Blue Planet, as much as the walruses. I participate. And so the struggles that I'm dealing with, the anxiety that I may, may feel, that's as normal, that's as um, sort of 
physically present as any animal that is struggling with the cycle of life. And so what it did was it really brought me out of my own headspace, you know, from that space of where I'm going, well, um, what should I be doing? You know, like that space where it's all about me. What is it? What should I be doing? What should I be fixing? Where should I be going? All of that. And just going, no, this is life. Hmm. So, yeah, I know. A little bizarre uh, to share share some of that, but that is the inside insanity that exists. And so um, my hope is that as we keep on talking today, um, that you're reminded of that, that in this really earthy, robust life, you are so magnificent and yet so ordinary that not everything has to be psychoanalyzed. That when you're feeling sad, feel sad. When you're feeling angry, feel angry. I mean, you want to pay attention to those emotions and feelings, but you do not have to be those emotions and feelings. That this is just what it means to be human. So today, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. I realize that as we talk um, about a story that Jesus tells, um, it can be hitting on all kinds of triggers for those of you that are listening. Some of you, you may have grown up in the church, uh, and it may have been a really wonderful experience. Some of you, um, it may not have been a good experience. Uh, Regardless of your tradition and how you grew up, uh, you may have feelings now when you hear words like Jesus or the Gospels, or whatever that happens to be. And I want to tell you that for me, my Christian tradition uh, has just informed more and more of who I am and the beauty and depth that's in this world. Uh, And for me, the life of Jesus, his teachings, um, how he lived, uh, continues um, to be something that I find inspiring. Um, It was when I was first in high school that I really uh, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I understood more and more what the person of Jesus was all about. And I saw someone who was always challenging the corruption and the power that existed in that day and age. I saw someone who always had an eye on the marginalized, Someone who is always continually inviting people in, especially those who have been cast out by society. And so that continues to be probably one of my greatest passions today and one of the things that still compels me about the Jesus story is that there is no other. Uh, We are all brother, sister. There is no enemy And we are called to pursue love and mercy and grace with all people. And I saw that in the personhood of Jesus. And so, so much of what he did and the stories that he tells speak um, 
to that greater narrative of love, kindness, generosity, giving up yourself for the sake of another. And um, I want to share a story today that maybe, regardless of your background, you have heard before. It's often referred to as the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And so what I want to do, it's really in two parts, and I want to read the first part to you, and it's probably the part that um, maybe is the most familiar. Here we go. The parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Oh, I mean, I hear that story and um, the beauty of this father's response. See, Jesus is trying to tell us something about the way in which all of this world operates. Jesus is trying uh, to get our attention with a story to tell us something about grace, to tell us something about mercy, that it's all-encompassing, that it's around us everywhere we look. And so he uses the power of story to convey those themes to us. And so we start off with this rich man and his sons. And the younger one is like anxious and restless, like needs to get out of the hometown and go explore and, and um, go like step into his own. He can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. Have you been there? 
It's like being restless in the middle of the night. And so what he does, he goes to his father and he says, I would like my half of the inheritance. And scripture sort of just glosses over uh, this quick uh, request because then it says, so the father divided uh, his estate up and gave half to his son. Um, And it misses the cultural context of what's happening, uh, that when a father would, would, uh, a man would pass, would die, that his estate would be divided up into his heirs and would be given over to each of those heirs. But what his son is asking for is he's asking um, for, for his inheritance now, like while his dad is still alive, essentially to say, dad, I can't do this anymore, as if you were dead. Give me what is mine so I can go on living. The younger son is willing to sacrifice and willing to cast aside his relationship with his father for what he feels like he should be owed now so that he can get on living the life he wants to live. And his father's response I mean, I can't imagine what that must have felt like to have your son make that kind of request. And, and maybe the son didn't fully grasp the depth of what that meant. But the father just obliged, almost as if to say, wherever you are at, I will meet you. And if that's really what you want, okay. And the son is, is driven by this restlessness to find some sort of external fulfillment. Like if I can just get my inheritance now, if I can just pursue those things that I want to, then that will finally make me feel whole. Then I will finally have arrived. And so he receives this exorbitant wealth and it says that he goes on and he squanders it, that he wastes it all on extravagant living to the point where he has nothing and he, and he ends up getting this, this job working um, in the pig troughs, like feeding pigs. And he hits rock bottom. How have I gotten here? I have wasted all of these resources and perhaps even worse, I've wasted this relationship with my father. And so the story goes on and says, when he came to his senses, like he finally woke up, he finally became conscious. And just a side note, friends, you you may have someone close to you, a loved one, family member, or a friend that your heart is aching for because they have run away in one form or another. I mean, maybe they haven't physically run away, but um, emotionally they've sort of run away. Um, Maybe they're trying to medicate through life in in various ways. And, And they just seem unconscious to life. There's often not much we can do except continue to be present. And then hope that someday, somehow, some moment, they, quote unquote, come to their senses. They wake up. They become conscious. 
And really, um, we don't have to look too much further than our own self. I mean, that's the call for each one of us to become more and more conscious that the things externally, pursuits, desires will never make us happy, will never make us feel at one, will never bring wholeness. But it really begins somewhere within ourselves and the recognition that we already have all that is in front of us. I digress. So it goes on. I'm going to go back to my father. And as he goes back to his father, he's got the script in his head. And the story tells us that as his father sees him, he was still a long way off. He ran to his son. Again, another side note that in that day and age, it was um, actually looked down upon, uh, frowned upon to see an older gentleman run. Like it wasn't dignified. Essentially, it wasn't the proper response. But this is the response of grace. A movement towards another human. A movement towards awakeness. To someone with just a little bit of faith saying, I've lost everything. I don't quite know where I'm at. I'm full of this anxiety and I'm seeking and I'm trying and I don't know if I'm doing it right. Like somehow that is enough to trigger the movement of grace lavishly, robustly to pursue us. And we see that in the father who then throws his arms around him and says, let's get the fattened calf and we are going to celebrate because this son of mine is found. He was dead and now is truly alive. And this is what this life is about. Becoming more and more alive, waking up, coming to our senses But this is just the first half of the story. Because there's another son at play watching all of this. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So in the second portion, we get the perspective of the older brother. 
Anybody have an older sibling or maybe you are the older sibling? Maybe you can understand how this relationship goes, right? Like the younger one in the family always gets what they want. And then the older sibling, like you just have to keep playing by the rules, doing the right thing, never getting uh, in trouble or out of line, doing what mom and dad always expect. And then somehow the younger brother, younger sister, like the rules don't quite apply, right? Like you look back and you go, oh man, when I was a kid, oh, I never got away with that. I couldn't stay out that late when I was their age. It's not fair. And we see that in the brother's response. He's like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is bullshit. I've done everything. I've played by the rules. How could this be? And in that brother's response, the full height of what this story is trying to illustrate for us comes to the surface. Both of these brothers were lost. This isn't the story of one lost son. This is the story of two lost sons. Both sons longing to fulfill their identity and yet completely um, at odds with how that happens. That it's something external. For the younger son, it happened through extravagant living and through the older son, it happened through playing by the rules. And in both cases, what we receive is about what we've done, that we can earn it, that it's up to us, that I've got to figure it out, that as long as you play by the rules, things will go your way. And if things don't go your way, well, it's probably because you've done something wrong or you're not doing the appropriate thing. And so it hinges on how good, bad, right, wrong you are. And it can be exhausting because there's no freedom within that to be fully alive, to be fully you. If the younger son was imprisoned uh, by feeling like he had to just experience everything um, externally, this older son is imprisoned by being the perfect version of himself. And in that space, there is no intimacy. Because in that space, you're always having to prove it. You're always having to earn it. And you're always having to show that you deserve it. Have you felt that before? You just have to prove yourself. Where it's up to you. Where if you want something, you got to go get it. And the weight of all of that... It could be unbearable. And so for those of us that are like, they're strong, we just sort of like keep moving, keep plugging away, keep chipping away, keep getting after it. And it is terribly exhausting when we live this life that somehow it is up to me. I've got to play by the rules. And perhaps because of this, the conversion of the older son is far more challenging. Because when the older son realizes that this is not how the grace of his father works, it totally throws him. And he feels like it isn't fair. You never 
bought me even a goat. And he sounds like a child, doesn't he? Using all this sort of um, black and white language. He's blind to the goodness and riches he's already a part of. Friends, when we feel like this life is up to us, it's difficult for us to see that we are already invited in to all of it. We're already participating in the flow of goodness and abundance right now. It's, it's not waiting for us somewhere else until we have enough money, until we live in the right space to go and then experiencing it. It's not waiting for us until we finally uh, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, play by all the rules, do everything just right, and then we finally receive our reward. The reward is that it's happening now. Are our eyes awake? Are we open? Are we seeing that all the goodness that exists is for us now to experience, to step into? So this father is telling the oldest son, all I have, it's already been yours. And you've actually missed the boat. All these years, you were not experiencing the true intimacy and goodness that I have. Even though you were right next to me, even though I was in your presence, you still couldn't see it. Because you thought it was about earning it, about making it happen, about engineering an outcome. I'm telling you, it's something far deeper. It's not dependent upon you at all. You're invited. Participate. And the beauty is that in that space, when we come to that level of awakeness, we realize that our true identity is nothing that we have to live up to, but something that we get to live out of. We no longer have to live up to some self-expectation of what we want to experience in this life. If I get there, if I have that, if I make this amount of money, if I have this job, then finally I will be there. If I live up to my expectation, then I'll be happy. If I live up to the expectation of others, what they say I should do, what they say I shouldn't do, if I make everybody happy, if I live up to those expectations, then I'll be my full, true self. And friends, that's not how it works. Because so many of us, we've been chasing our identity externally and we're miserable. So many of us, we've been chasing our identity in quote-unquote proper living, playing by the rules, and we're miserable because we feel like we're always living up to something. And what this story is telling us is that we are free from that. We are free from an external pursuit. And we are free from the internal pursuit of living up to an identity. And instead, free to live out of the identity already 
divinely placed within each one of us. And it's an identity that's based on abundance. You don't have to scrape, claw, and earn it. There's plenty to go around. Just because the father spends lavishly on the son doesn't mean there's not more than enough riches for you to continue to experience. There's more than enough. It's all in abundance. And you are free to live out of that abundance. Imagine if we could view ourselves that way. Imagine if we could let go of those internal voices of the younger brother, the internal voice of the older brother. That we could hear more and more the soft, sweet voice of that father that says it has always been yours. There's nothing you have to do, nothing you have to prove, nothing you have to earn, no outcome to engineer. Simply give all of yourself. Be all that I've created you to be. Imagine if we could view ourselves with that kind of compassionate grace, how we might then step forward with a deep confidence in this life and bring our fullest, most brilliant self to everyone in any situation we come in contact with. It would do away with fear. It would set aside anxiety. There would be no other We would recognize there was enough for all. We would celebrate with everyone. We would seek the goodness of all people. Friends, you are already in the midst of an abundant, gracious, compassionate life. Goodness and mercy Kindness is all around you. There's nothing for you to pursue externally. There's nothing that you must live up to internally to bring that to fulfillment. It simply is, and you are invited to see it, to hear it to let it wash over you. So friends, may you be free from the voices that tell you fulfillment only comes through an external pursuit or internal perfection. May you be free from hearing the lie that it is up to you. And instead, May you become awake to all that you've been invited to. And in turn, may you invite others for the sake of mercy, hope, and love. Grace and peace, friends. Mm-hmm.